First Peter, First Peter chapter 3, we'll begin in chapter 3. <clears throat> First Peter chapter 3. And we walked through the end of chapter 2. Chapter 2 ends up with a significant verse that says, For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Now this is significant. And uh, one of the reasons it's significant is that it leads into what we're going to begin reading in chapter 3. Keep in mind that there's no need for us to go back to the time when there were no chapters and verses. It was just like a letter that you would have, uh, like a letter would have, you'd have some paragraph marks and stuff in the sense of spacing in the very, very first epistle of Simon Peter that was, you know, written out, handwritten. And understand that for years and years and years and years, that's all people had. So as we read this, sometimes it's good to put ourselves back into the mindset. You don't have to change the text of your Bible. You don't have to change, you know, the way it's printed and all that. If you'll just have a little discipline of mind and put yourself back in the mindset. When we come to chapter 3, verse 1, and by the way, what a gift from God that he would give us chapters and verses because it gives us such a great way of accessing and locating truths and sayings and passages in the scriptures. There were over 33,000 verses in the Bible. That's a lot. There's uh, 1,189 chapters by uh, typical means of counting. That's a lot of, lot of stuff. Now you can, you can, Print it into a Bible. I've got a Bible that'll fit in your back, the whole Bible, back pocket or your backpack. And uh, so it's a big book and it's a huge book. And God gave us those things for location. He gave us those things for being able to find stuff. So when we get to chapter three and we're looking at it, what we're finding here is he's going to tie some truths together into a Practical application is how I call it. So now he's going to work into relationships or roles, as I like to call them, R-O-L-E-S, roles. It's a role. It's something that you do, perform, a role you play. Uh, Not play as in a play, as in an act, okay? But they get that word from from the true English words. For example, let us play the man. Let us be and conduct ourselves like man. So we're to play out our roles. Now the Bible's an amazing book. You know it's written by the creator. You know it's by the, written by the one who created us because he deals with us in our roles because that is the way that we identify. If you want to confuse a society, confuse their roles. If you want to confuse an individual, get them confused about their roles. I'll give you an example as we start into this passage. He's going to talk about wives, and he's talking about husbands, okay? And when he begins to talk about these things, and he begins to draw out illustrations for us, you might say, and applications, okay? When he does that, he starts with the smallest unit of culture, which is a 
husband and a wife, a man and a woman. That's how life started. You said, well, life started with Adam all alone. It didn't stay that way very long, the best we can tell, because it was not good for man to be alone. So the smallest unit of culture is a man and a woman. And it goes out from there. Okay? Now, it's important for us to remember these things about roles. Let me give you an example. Let's say a man and woman, they get married, they have children. Now, as the man labors, let's put ourselves way back. Let's put ourselves in the mindset of the rural, husbandry, agricultural setting of much, much of the Bible and the, and the way life started, okay? The man, you know, from dawn till setting sun, he works. And of course, the old adage they say is woman's work is never done. Um, I hope that's not the case with you. I hope as a woman, you get a break here and there. But God didn't intend us to have one side working crazy while the other became busybodies other places in your Paul's, Pauline epistles. So let's say children come along. Well, children are a lot of work. If you do it right, they're work. You, you, you don't farm them out, hire them out. They're work. And so the amount of time that a couple spends together, man and woman, uh, let's say when they're first married, but he still goes out in the field, but he comes home and they've got their evening time together, etc. Okay. And uh, it's kind of like I read a quote that, that said uh, about people and about marriage in the world we live in today. It said many marriages would be better if the husband and wife clearly understood that they're on the same side. Well, they need to get on the same side. It's very difficult when, you're, when that's not the case. Very difficult. But it's also not the case that the man, the male, is supposed to get onto the woman's side or vice versa alone. So let's just say that happens. They have children. So now the majority of effort for the woman is caring for those children because that's what happens. If you get in homes today, families today, where people are both working, for example, to make ends meet, etc., and they're taking the kids there, and this guy's dropping them, and the mother's dropping them, and the father's dropping them, and they're <coughs> making money. As life gets fuller, the cultural unit that started, the man and woman, they have less and less direct time to themselves and with each other. However, their role priority has not changed in God's way and in God's mind and in God's plan. And this, this truth being lost, hidden, even dismantled by the present day world we live in has destroyed many a home. When I say home, I'm talking about a man and woman because that's how it started and that's how it's intended. The epidemic of the empty nest and a couple going their own ways goes very far back many times to the beginning of children coming into the home and the role changing, the roles change in volume, but they're not supposed to change in focus. And this is what is very important. So as we're reading these passages, we're not approaching it from one side of the road, one ditch on the left side or a ditch on the right side of the road. We want to know, he said, let your moderation be made known unto all men. We want to get in the lane that God describes to every human being 
and we want to run in it and we want to operate in it. So he starts chapter 3 verse 1 by saying, likewise, you wives be in subjection to your own husbands that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. So I want to focus for a few minutes on that word likewise. Likewise means there's a reference to something that came before. Now the immediate statement before and the context of that immediate statement is there in chapter 2 verse 25. For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd, capital S, and bishop, capital B, of your souls. So the picture is that we are as sheep in subjection to the shepherd and the bishop of our souls. Hence, when he says, likewise, ye wives. Now understand that when we get down to verse 7, he says, likewise, ye husbands. So he's not isolating one out of the other. He's not picking on one out of the other. He's not focusing on one. He's just, that's the order in which he deals with it. Why is that so? Well, in the passage, likewise, ye wives be in subjection to your own husbands. Okay, so we're going to make some observations about life. You may not necessarily agree with it at first, but I think if you'll look willingly, you'll see what I'm saying is demonstrated, and you'll see it quite easily. So he says, likewise. Now, that means, he says, be in subjection to your own husband. So the husband is supposed to be like a shepherd. He's like a bishop in type. Okay? And you read on, and you read in Ephesians and combine the passages, the man is like that. He lays down his life for his wife. Now, that doesn't mean he becomes her servant to do whatever she wants. It means he does what's best for them both, but his attitude is the same as Christ for the church. So, ladies, it's not for you to constantly test him and decide, does he love me enough and get him to do whatever you want? So, let's look at the picture he, he paints, and he's painting it in particular about a woman is she's married and her husband isn't either saved and or obedient to the word. So likewise, you wives be in subjection to your own husbands. Now, I don't think it's a, an accident at all. I don't believe for a second it's an accident that he said to your own husbands. I have found this to be so by both observation and testimony, and you would too if you, have, if you will look, that it's easier for a woman say, in an office, to be in subjection, that is, to, to follow, to kind of obey, to follow the lead of, to aid, to help someone who, a man who's not their own husband. Why is that? Because there is, in all human nature, in every single human, there is an element of that old nature that doesn't want to do something because it has to or is told to or expected to, it likes to feel like it's doing it voluntarily or because the other person's a good person or the other person's, you know, charismatic in their personality. So he said, likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. Now, in a world in which, the Western world, where many, many, a man and woman both work while they're in a marriage relationship out in the secular world and 
And many, many of them have, you know, demanding jobs, time-consuming jobs. Many of them are, are average earning amounts. Some are high earning amount. In those environments, this simple statement is important to remember. You wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. That. So there's a purpose here. If any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. Now we've talked about conversation before. It's your life. It's not just talking. It's your entire life. In verse 2, he says, while they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear. Now chaste is clean. It's connected to the English word chastity. And you don't have to retranslate any of this. In fact, this is divinely translated. There's no doubt about it. So he said, if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wise. Wives, it's not, it's not the words that a woman, a wife, pounds her husband with that'll win him. 99.9% of the time, it's her life. So a conversation is something, verse 2, that can be, can be seen, beheld, while they behold, they look at, they taste of. Now, he could be a disobedient Christian man. He might even be a lost man, okay? And the application that he uses that we're going to read down through here is in verse 6 is uh, Sarah and Abraham. In other words, Sarah had, had a, a testimony and God blessed Sarah for obeying Abraham. She even obeyed him when he asked her to just act like she was his sister, even though she was technically related to him. She wasn't his sister as <coughs> you would picture when someone says, that's my sister. So the admonition is to be in subjection as a testimony. You say, well, He's a disobedient Christian man, or he's a lost man. God doesn't ask you to obey in unrighteousness, as in doing drugs, smoking dope, drinking alcohol, uh, illicit sex, uh, wicked vocabulary on your own part. Okay? So righteousness is the extent of all obedience. It is. However... It doesn't mean that a woman, Christian woman, should draw out a bunch of lines and say, well, this, is, this, isn't, this isn't righteous and this isn't righteous, so I ain't doing it. Well, that's not going to give that man much of a picture of someone submitted to the shepherd and bishop of our souls, verse 25 of chapter 2. So you understand, if it's a Christian woman listening, that is, it is very important what you do with your life. He goes on to give some describing, okay? Whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of plaiting the hair or wearing of gold or putting on of apparel. Now, he's not teaching against doing something with your hair, dressing properly or in a classy way. He's not. But what he's saying is, you're beautifully adorned when you're adorned for your husband, as in you're considering him, not how everybody else thinks about you or how other women think about you or you think of yourself. I'm going to pause here for a minute. This is more of a counseling type thing. Things you run into when you try to help people. 
We call it counseling. There's other words for it. It's not counseling like a shrink and all that. It's giving counsel, as the book of Proverbs speaks of. In life today, because people are bombarded with all the digital media, with all the access to news and information and pictures and videos and stuff just on an everyday basis, the world is always trying to establish what is beauty and what is acceptable and what is good. When he said, wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that's because, uh, let's say, let's say you're, you're, ladies, you're a Christian lady, a Christian woman, you're working in a work environment, and you, um, you, know, you have a guy, a, a man at work that compliments how you're dressed or gives you, you know, subtle compliments and stuff. Now, I understand some of it might be a little bit harmless, but what it can do in your heart and mind is create a false idea that that's what matters is that person's opinion when it's your husband's. And let's say you're, you're, you're married to a man that is disobedient to the word. I mean, downright carnal or lost. And he may be like the fellow where the woman said, well, honey, do you love me? And he said, well, I mar- when I married you 20 years ago, I told you I love you. And I, let you know, I told you if, I would let you know if it changed. Well, we need to be more expressive with our love than that, gentlemen. So the picture is, whose adorning let it not be that outward adorning plaited with hair. He's going to draw a, a contrast. Verse 4 continues the sentence. But let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. Now here's, here's where there gets to be a conflict as a Christian woman. By nature, typically, a woman is more concerned with who's right than what's right. Now, in a woman's mind, many times, the who's right and what's right are synonymous, but it's not in God's eyes. When the Lord Jesus Christ suffered as He did, as He described in chapter 2, look at me please in verse 23, who when He was reviled, what did he do? He reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously. So what was right was for him to not revile again. What was right was for him to suffer quietly and threaten not. But you see, the people who were doing it weren't right. So if you focused on who's right, then it would cause a person to rebel against it, fight against it, etc. So he says, but let it be the hidden man of the heart. Now, this is a Bible truth. It is not a mistranslation. It is not an unfortunate rendering. The Lord Jesus Christ is that hidden man in the person of the Holy Spirit. God is not generic. God is not neutral. God is not female as we know male and female to be even the type even the description man and woman woman has man in it it's a man with a woman came from adam it's so simple and there's no need to argue it and some of you there's no need to be so obsessed with what the world is doing they've been doing it for six thousand years i don't understand why people are getting so upset 
with all these other crowds that want their rights. And you say, well, they shouldn't be. Of course they shouldn't. Uh, How upset did you get with Sodom and Gomorrah? You weren't even there, were you? You see what I mean? If you're not careful, you say, well, I don't want to just tolerate them. What you're supposed to do is pray for them and keep trying to win people to God. Amen. And loving your book and keeping your spirit right. Watch. The, but let it be the hidden man of the heart. So it's the heart that matters. In that which is not corruptible, even the ornament. See, an ornament, something that has decor and decorates. The word decor is in the word decorate and decoration. Whose ornament, something that adds beauty, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit was in the sight of God of great price. Meek, not cowering. Okay, we're not talking about cowering. <laughs> quiet, not silent, but meek means not a know-it-all for one thing. Not lifted or puffed up by their strength. You know what's amazing to me? Let's just say that a man and woman are married and one of them has certain strengths, the other has certain strengths, and then they have offsetting weaknesses. Isn't it amazing how, ladies, it's so easy for you to be tempted to think that you're more important or better, stronger and oppressed if you have some strengths your husband doesn't have? Isn't it easy to put him down because he doesn't have those strengths? That's just so easy. You know why? It's human nature. It's who our old nature is. Lucifer was an anointed cherub. He was the anointed cherub. He oversaw the throne and it wasn't enough. He said, I will ascend. I will be like the Most High. There is that spirit in this world. It's that way. You ever wonder why teenagers become know-it-alls? It's that spirit starts taking and manifesting itself. That's why teenagers starts at 13 the number of rebellion in the Bible. The Bible makes, the, the world makes so much sense from a Bible point of view. So what is the point? Well, every man, every woman has a man inside her if she's saved. Okay? Every woman has a man inside her if she isn't saved. If she's saved, she has two, an old man and a new man. This is something that needs to be taught so they can understand themselves and understand what the world's trying to do with all. Now, now Please listen, I think women who are ministering to women, it's a wonderful thing, but there is such a subtle undercurrent, sometimes not so subtle anymore, undercurrent of rebellion, of forcefulness, as if they're shaking the bonds, the chains off. Not supposed to be that at all. There is something so amazingly wonderful about a meek and quiet spirit. What is the modern thing today? They've, they've, they've used the name Karen, K-A-R-E-N, as a, as a title, as a label. Uh, you, you see down there when I was working with uh, all those rodeo people fixing trailers and stuff, you'd see the bumper stickers that said, well-behaved women sem- seldom make history on the girls' trucks. Well, that's just wonderful, isn't it? No, it's not wonderful. Being sarcastic, it's not wonderful. We cannot afford to hold back this teaching and preaching if we want to have any way of helping the individuals 
who are saved, who want to follow God with knowing what should be the goals, what should be the, the guiding spirit. Watch. Even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God, what? Of great price. You, you would want to write Proverbs 31 beside that. And over in Proverbs 31, you would want to write this verse, 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 4. Because said, he said, who can find a virtuous woman for her value is far above rupees? Okay? So when he gives all that about a virtuous woman, it's rare. I'll admit that. In the sight of God of great price, do you want to be valuable to God? <clears throat> do you want to be valuable to the work of God? Do you want God to look down and say, I put a great price on that woman? Because when you get to heaven and he settles up for your life on earth, that's what's going to matter. It won't matter. Listen, Christian woman, it won't matter that you got your way down here. It won't matter that you did it by force or badgering or nagging. It won't matter. It'll count against you. So I won't be a doormat. Well, then you don't want to be like Jesus. Did he not lay down his life? You, you, don't you want your man to be willing to lay down his life for you? Don't you want your man to be willing to lay down his life for Jesus Christ? Say it's not being a doormat. It's taking up our cross. It's laying down on our cross and taking it up every day. This is giving a Christian woman a great opportunity to have great value in the eyes of God and will have in the eyes of your man. In verse 5, For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God. Would you mark that maybe? Not just women, not just say holy women, but he said the holy women what? Who trusted in God. What did they do? They adorned themselves being in subjection to their own husbands. There is nothing more godly, nothing, not even a godly man, nothing more godly than a woman who is in subjection because of her Lord Jesus Christ, the hidden man of the heart. Holy men, for after this manner, in the old time, the holy women also who trust in God adorn themselves, being in subjection unto what? There's that verse again, that saying again, own husbands. And like I said, that's the temptation. It is such a temptation to be able, let's take church. It's a temptation, Christian woman, to be abiding by the pastor or one of the leaders, or one of the teachers, and following their teaching, and be all jazzed up about it, but not with that spirit towards one's husband, especially if he is without the word it now. The sentence goes on, verse 6, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, small l-o-r-d. It's like sir. And no one's talking about you go around the house calling sir. You know what I'm amazed at? I'm amazed when a woman's spirit bucks up when she sees a pastor's wife in submission and showing some honor and respect to the pastor, who's also her husband, when that spirit bucks up in you, that should be an alarm bell. It says, wait a minute. She should be shown respect because of Christ, because of the work of God. Even as Sarah obeyed, 
Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, practical sense, not in seed, but in spirit, whose daughters ye are, as long as you do well and are afraid, not afraid with any amazement. So you see, Sarah twice obeyed Abraham, nearly got him in trouble, her in trouble. He had to take the brunt of it, and God did rebuke him for it. And it said, are not afraid with any amazement. It takes a lot of faith. I'll admit that. It takes a great amount of faith. Now, Christian woman, this means you need to pray. You need to have a prayer life. You need to be able to reach hold of heaven and number one, get the peace of God because of your prayer life. You need to be able to take everything to God and learn to do that and leave it with God and trust Him so that you can have this peace that passes understanding. Why is that important? It's important because that's what it's going to take for you to get yourself always in the right frame of mind regardless. Turn to the left a couple pages before we close this passage out. To Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Okay? Philippians 4. And pick it up verse 6. Be careful for nothing. It didn't say be careless. Watch. Be careful. Full of cares for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God and the peace of God which passeth all understanding. That is written exactly as it ought to be. He's saying that you're going to have a peace that no one, you can't explain. It passes understanding. It's beyond understanding. It shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. It's essential, Christian woman, to have a prayer life. If you are listening, you're an un, not married Christian woman. Don't get married if you don't want to be this woman. It's not fair to the, the man. It's not fair to other believers within the congregation. And it's not going to be fair to yourself in the end, especially your children. We have such a dysfunctional world. We have such an such a environment today that is in chaos. And so much of it starts in the home with the discontent. Now, we'll get to men. And I promise you, Christian woman, I'm much, much, much sterner, harder demanding with men than I am you Christian women. But for your sake, take these verses. Chapter 3, verse 1 through verse 6. Take these verses and meditate upon them and study them and give yourself to them. And you can be of great price, great price, where in the sight of God, there's no greater place to be than that. Father, we pray you use these thoughts in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen.